you early on in this message, please do not judge me. But uh, I just need to ask you a question, and maybe just by a show of hands to see if I'm normal or abnormal. Have have any of you all ever just? Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say it in the vernacular that I understand. But have you ever had a hankering for some hot? salted McDonald's french fries, just quickly, anybody besides myself? Okay, so it's not like an anomaly here, you know. It's not like I have a a hankering for any other food they have, but every once in a while, you just get this thing, go, man, you know, those hot right out of the fryer, you know, where they'll burn your lip kind of thing. Okay. You know, <laughs> we, can, we can call that a, a hankering, we can call it a hunger, but this morning I want to call it really kind of what it's defined to be, and that is a desire, a desire. I, I, we don't say it too much, you know, I desire some fries because that sounds a little weird, but uh, uh, nevertheless, this morning what we're going to be talking about is having a hunger or a desire for God, because I promise you this. He's better than hot French fries. Okay? So this morning I want to read you some of the things that we believe King David wrote, even though they uh, may not say David at the top of the psalm. But uh, we're going to be talking quite a bit about David this morning because I really believe that he is someone that the Bible has given us as a real good example of someone who really had a desire for God. So this is Psalm 27.4. You can go there with me if you want to. Psalm 27.4 says... One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will or that that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing I have desired of the Lord. Right. There's a great a great introduction to this. But in Psalm 19, verse number 10, he also says this. He says, They are more desirable, and he's speaking of the words of God. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. In Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, this is what he says. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. Man, David was a good writer. In Psalm 84, verse 2, this is what it says. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. David, whenever you start to read some of these things... You all of a sudden get an idea of who David was. David had a desire for God unlike probably anybody in the Bible. No one has been called by God what God labeled David. David was a man after God's own heart as described by God. Now in Psalm 84 or 84 and Psalm 42 and 80 uh, they they were written for the songs of Korah but most people believe that David is the one who was responsible for the writing of these psalms. So the desire whenever you look at it in the Bible I mean in the dictionary one of the things you're going to find real quick it says a strong feeling of wanting 
a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen, to long for or to hope for. All of us have had those desires at one time in our life. I desire this. It's a strong feeling of wanting to have something. Wanting and wishing for something to happen. David was esteemed by God, I really believe, because of his desire for God. God loved David and God treated David in a, in a way that, that I believe was unique in the, in the case of God seeing the heart that David had for him. And so this morning, I want to take a few minutes and really kind of examine the heart that David has and see how that uh, heart compares to ours. Are you ready to do some comparison? This message is all about desiring God. If we're going to be the people of God, we ought to have a desire for God. We ought to be driving down the road and it's not whenever we pass McDonald's, but it could be there. All of a sudden, we just get this idea that just comes all over us and go, I have a hankering for the presence of the Almighty God. I want it. I'm going to go get it. I want to be in His manifest presence. I want to be in the center of His love. I have a, I have a desire for His Word. Are you all there with me? This is, this is what this whole message is about this morning. And before we really kind of launch into it, one of the things we've got to know is there are good desires, but there are also bad desires. Forbes magazine says this, the top eight things that people desperately desire but can't seem to obtain. The answers here uh, are in order. Happiness, this things people desire, but they can't just seem to attain them, can't get their fingers on them. They want happiness. They want money. They want freedom. They want peace. They want joy. They want balance. They want fulfillment and confidence. That was a poll of over a thousand people that were asked, you know, what's your top eight things that you desire? You see, the problem is people try to achieve these through things or through people. You know, if I just had the right job and it paid the right salary, booyah, I'd have it. You know what I'm saying? If I could just marry the right person, if I could have perfect kids, man, that's impossible. Okay? We, we desire and we have these desires, but we want to meet them through things. If I just had a big 401 account, our 401k account, I know I'd have it things. You have everything that I need. All things and all people will not last. Going to come a day and time that everything that you and I hold on to so dearly sometimes, it's not going to be there anymore. Everything, every person has limits on what they can do for us. Amen. You ever got that brand new car and you drive it off the lot and it smells like brand new car? Got the sticker in the window, man, and now you're in debt up to your eyeballs, but that's okay because you got a new car. And for the first few weeks, maybe months, you don't even let the kids in it. (laughs) And there comes a special day that you actually let them get in it, but you say, we will not eat in this car ever, never. A few years down the road, They're smearing peanut butter all over the back seat. And you're okay with that. See, 
there's going to come a time whenever a little claw comes and picks that car up and drops it into a crusher. And then the peanut butter will come off the seat. You see, everything that we have today has its limits. Everything does. But the Bible makes clear that in these desires, we can also have bad desires. Good desires are wonderful, but bad desires are not. In fact, the Bible calls them evil desires. The Apostle Paul gives us all kinds of lists during the course of his writing. And in Romans, Corinthians, Colossians, Galatians, there's all these lists about evil desires and, and their deeds. So we can know for sure if we find ourselves heading down the wrong direction, all we have to do is pick up this, uh, these lists that the Apostle Paul have written and it will tell us if our, if our desires are centered on money, Probably not a good thing. Are you all there? If our desires are centered on pleasure, probably not a good thing. Entertainment, self, pride, human achievements. Folks, if we find our desires set on those things, we will understand this through the Word of God that we are off the track. We've missed it. Because that's not where our desires need to be. So we have these good desires. We have these bad desires. But one of the things the Bible tells us through, through the course of Genesis and Revelation, is we have to cultivate. We have to cultivate the desires which are ultimately going to rule us. Because, folks, I'm telling you, if we have a strong enough desire for a French fry to get our pajamas off, get in the car, we'll put something else on, and then get in the car... And drive to McDonald's after we've almost bedded down for a fresh french fry. Are you all there with me? That desire is unbelievably strong. I want some McDonald's french fries and I'll pretty much do anything for them. If you're in line in front of me, you're going to get out of line. There you go. You see, we have to cultivate the desires that are ultimately going to rule our lives. And so here's the problem. We are ruled by our desires. The Bible tells us that we're going to follow what our hearts desire. In Ezekiel 11.21, it says, but, but as for those whose hearts follow the desire of their detestable things and their abominations. So here the Bible tells us that their hearts are following these desires. In Mark, we talked about this last week, 8.34. It says, when he called the people to himself with his disciples, he said to them, whose Whosoever desires to come after me. So we have these desires that are going to rule us. If you and I are desiring those detestable things, as Ezekiel writes about, or if you and I are desiring to come after Jesus Christ, we have got to cultivate those desires. In other words, if we want to go after detestable things, man, I, I tell you, get on the internet, get on those websites that are awful, and stay there. Watch every kind of detestable movie that you can put in you, and your heart, you understand, you are cultivating where your heart, where your desires are going to be. But if you want to come after God, you've got to cultivate the desire to come after God. That's why we're told in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart because everything flows out of your heart. Everything. Guard your heart. Don't put that junk in. Don't put that garbage in there. You see, if we lose 
evil desires or we choose evil desires, one or the other it's going to be. But if we choose these evil desires, they will steer our life. And let me be very clear. Evil desires are going to steer our our life away from God and they will steer our life down ruin is basically what's going to come by following the evil desires. But if we choose to set our, our desires on the thing that God says that our lives are to be filled with, See, because God's got this list, not only did Paul write about the things that we shouldn't be desiring, but he also wrote about these things that we should be desiring. So, folks, if we set our lives that they're going to be filled with the things God says they should be filled with, I will tell you, that brings great fulfillment to our lives. It is so good to just be where God wants you to be. That's fulfillment. You can sit back and go, you know, every once in a while I, I, I don't sleep real well at night. And, and we had kind of a running joke in my family for a little while that, uh, uh, you know, if your conscience were clear, you would sleep better. Yeah? But I'll be honest with you. Whenever I go to bed at night, 99.9% of the time my conscience are clear. There's a deep satisfaction on the inside of me. There's a deep fulfillment on the inside of me. There's deep joy on the inside of me. There's deep happiness on the inside of me. Because whenever you go after what God says for us to go after, that's what our lives are going to be filled with. The Apostle Paul said, uh, he said to set our hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not earthly things. That's Colossians 3, 1 and 2. You see, we have to cultivate this. We have to cultivate it. If I want to follow after the desires that God would have me to follow after, I have to cultivate it in my mind and my heart. I have to set my heart, I have to set my mind on things of God, not the earthly things. You must choose to set your heart and your mind on the right place, the right things. You got to choose. Life is full of a lot of choices. Every once in a while, I hear people tell me, well, that just made me so mad. That person just made me so mad. Can I just tell you this? All of life is a choice. Nobody makes you mad. Nobody does. Nothing makes you mad. Nothing. You choose it. It's absolutely a choice. It's like Corey Tim Boom. I've just, I love this quote. She says, whenever someone spits on you, you can make a decision to either get mad or just get wet. It's powerful. I mean, that's what all of life is about. And so these choices, these choices that, that we're going to set our heart, and we're going to set our mind on the right thing, it's all choices. And I will tell you, David made some excellent choices. That's what made him great. This is what it says in Acts 13, 22. It says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. This is what it says. He will do everything I want him to do. David made some, he made some right choices. David, David desired God, and I really believe I can say this. David made some stupid decisions, as we all make stupid decisions. But I will say this. I believe his desire for God outweighed 
everything else in his life. In other words, above all else, he had a desire for God. He shows it over and over and over and over again. David literally became a man that was hungry. David became a man that was thirsty for God. By seeking him, David discovered all these things about God. But probably most importantly, the thing that God revealed to David through David coming after him is that God was a a, a real living person. God is personable. God has said stuff to me before that has just taken me back. Because I'm thinking God is always going to be speaking to me in King James English. Are you all there? I'm telling you, man, God God has said things to me that tells me he's, he's real. He's a real person. And David got a hold of that. David was one who communed with God out in the hills of Bethlehem whenever he was a shepherd. I mean, there was all of the solitude and the stillness. And in the midst of that, David communed with God. David became a worshiper of God. He played the harp and he discovered God's presence in that worship. He became a real person to David. Literally, he became his best friend. He became the lover of David's soul. So David developed this hunger for God. Can I just say this? If you have never eaten a hot McDonald's french fry, you don't know anything about what it feels like whenever you put it in your mouth. And you probably will never have a hunger for it. There's folks that have never even seen a McDonald's restaurant and they're not walking around going, boy, I wish I had a hot McDonald's French fry. Y'all there with me? See, once you begin to experience God, whenever you begin to develop that hunger, man, I used to order the super fries, super sized fries at McDonald's and I could eat them in one inhalation. I didn't even get them with my fingers. I just put my face over all of them in the top of that box and went. (laughs) There was a a development of this hunger. I've eaten 7,325 pounds of McDonald's. Not quite that much. But are you all there? He developed this hunger. He developed this thirst. So what it says in Psalm 63, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. In Psalm 143, 6, it says, I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. You see, David loved God's word, maybe more than even the daily bread that he consumed. David loved God. He loved his word. He meditated on the word of God day and night. He wrote songs and he sang praises about God's word. And this morning I got to ask this question. Are we hungry? Are we a people that is thirsty for God? Do we love his word more than we love our daily bread? And now the next question to that, the follow-up question is, could we? Could we be a people That we love God and we love His Word more than life itself. Are y'all there? I mean, where we could write the psalm, As the deer pants for the water brooks, Oh God, so my soul pants for you. I mean, could that be who we are? Could we ever come to a place where we are a people that love God and desire God above all things in our lives? 
Could we? Just a question. Not only was David made great by his excellent desires, but David also wanted to please God. He was a pleaser. This one additional step that David took was to find out what would please God and then do it. I tend to be a pleaser. I like to please people. I really don't like people mad at me. I, I hate that as a matter of fact. I just, I want to please people. I think that's part of pastoral ministry is that you want to, you want to please people. You want to be doing the right things, saying the right things. Are you all there? I imagine that probably everybody in here, to one degree or another, you're a pleaser. If you're married, you have to be a pleaser. Okay? David discovered those things that pleased God, and he did it. Now, for years, my wife, my favorite cake is German chocolate cake. I love German chocolate cake. I haven't had one in quite some time. But I'm telling you, there's a, there's, there's a God element in that cake. In fact, you could skip the cake and just make the icing for me. I'd be okay with that. And my birthday, every year, for many years, my wife can't do it anymore, but she would cook me a big German chocolate cake. My wife is great. <laughs> She makes me German chocolate cake. Um, you know why she made that for me? Because that was my favorite cake. She wanted to please me. And man, whenever I came home from work, and man, there's that big German chocolate sitting there, man. I go, oh, baby. Oh, baby. God says, I found David a man after my own heart, he will do everything I want him to do. He wanted to please God. Can I just say that a lot of times we raise our hands during the course of worship and, you know, there's many worship songs that have integrated the terminology, you know, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, in all different kinds of ways. But it says, I love you, Lord. And I will tell you this, loving God is more than just a feeling. It's way more than a feeling. In fact, Jesus said this in John 14, 15. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He also said in John 14, 21, he said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. In John 15, 10, it says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And in 1 John 5, 3, it says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. You see, you and I, we... We, we need to choose to do God's will. And again, I go back to that place. It's a choice. It is all a choice. It's, it's not something that is in your DNA to disobey God. Say, well, my mom was this. My dad was this. My family has always been this. My denomination is this. So on and so forth. Folks, I tell you, it is our choice whether or not we are going to obey God or not obey God. And husbands, it is our choice to obey our wives or not to obey our wives. Just thought I'd throw that in there. David was so concerned about God. I mean, he loved God. He loved God. He was so concerned about God that he had built him this, himself this amazing, new, luxurious house for him to live in and all of his wives and all of his staff this amazing amazing house but david was so concerned about god 
He said, man, the Ark of the Covenant, I got this big old huge house and the Ark of the Covenant is still out there in a tent. David began to think of the presence of God out there, you know, literally in the elements. And he began to feel bad about that. God was still outside. So this is a psalm that he wrote, 132. He says, I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. Are you hearing this? Man, no wonder God said, this is a guy that's after my own heart. I mean, he says, I'm not, I'm not even going to go in and lay on my sealer posturpedic. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even going to take a wink of sleep until I can find a place where I can get God's presence in a place that is, is, is nicer than what I'm living in. You see, it was David's dream that that's where the temple came from. David began to dream, man, if I could build a house for God. His concern was for the well-being of God. And that concern touched God's heart. That's one of the reasons why it was said of David. He is a man after my own heart. And I, I, I just have to stop there again and say, could we ever come to that place? I mean, really, could we ever be a people that God would say, them folks are after my heart. I mean, could we be the same as David? So David was a unique guy. And I, I will tell you that one of the things I believe that David went through on a daily basis was almost a formula that he used to prepare his heart. Because I tell you, if we don't take time and consciously prepare our hearts we are setting up for failure. We cannot use whatever will come, will come. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I believe we have to be intentional about this. That you and I decide we are going to prepare our hearts. Just a couple of generations down from David where God is saying, this is my, this is my servant, this is the one who's after my own heart, came this guy named Rehoboam. This is David's grandson, and this is what God said about David's grandson. Remember, he said, this is a guy after my own heart. Now it's two generations. This is Solomon's son, and this is what God says about Rehoboam. And Rehoboam did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Are you all there? Rehoboam did evil because he made a choice. David was one that was constantly preparing his heart. I have to have my heart just right. You see, you and I choose what our hearts crave. We have to constantly choose to keep our hearts centered on God. That's a choice. That's preparing our hearts. Let me just tell you something. The enemy has... Everybody know what a hay hook is? A hay hook. Folks use that to load hay. There's these hooks that you put in between your fingers and you walk up to a bell of hay and slap it in one side and slap one in the other side. And then you can pretty much make that, that bell of hay do anything you want to with it unless you're weak. 
But you can grab that thing, throw it up on a truck, throw it up on an elevator that takes it up to the truck, whatever. You can do it. Folks, this is what I'm telling you. We have to do that to our hearts. We cannot just leave our hearts, you know, uh, 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 alone. We have to prepare it. We have to say, listen, heart, you're going the direction I want you to go. And so I, I tell you, everything is so important to the preparation of our hearts. Everything is. Because we have to be a people that make sure we are longing for God and we are longing for the things of God. I mean, folks, we should long for church. We really should. I mean, we should long for church. You know, there should be people coming in my office and say, Pastor, you know, we do church on Wednesday and Sunday, but I'll be real honest with you, man. I wish we did church on Monday nights too. See, we have a cry in America right now that is, oh, we cannot do Sunday morning and Sunday night. Cannot. There was a time in America where probably 95% of the churches out there had a Sunday night service. But you want me to tell you why we don't have a Sunday night service here? Because it literally dried up to nothing. And churches all over America, same thing. It's just dried up to nothing, and so they don't do it anymore. And it's because people don't have a longing for the house of God. You see, but whenever we prepare our hearts right, we will have a longing for the house of God. People will be coming and saying, hey, hey, we got to do more church. You guys are out there going, no, never, never. Why do you think they had Sunday night service to begin with? Because there was a red-hot generation of believers that the Holy Spirit of God had fallen on and they wanted to do church every time they could do church. Whenever revival is broke out in many areas of the United States, you want me to tell you what they do? They don't cut services, they add services. There's churches that have gone through revival that have six, seven, eight, nine, ten services in a week. God forbid. I'm saying, God, bring it on, man. I'm just going to tell you something. I don't think we could ever get too much of church. I don't even know where I'm at in my notes. All of that was completely free. We, we have to have a desire for the things of God. We have to have a, a desire for His Word, for church, for prayer. Again, you know, we have a, we have a Monday night prayer meeting and and, you know, I understand this. There's not very many people desire to come and pray. I, I'm just going to be straight with you. There's some days I don't want to come on Monday nights and pray. But, man, if I would just tend that desire. Y'all there? You know, could it be possible that, man, I just, I just cannot wait to find the doors of this sanctuary where I can, I can be in the presence of Almighty God through prayer? Desire. Our God's, our hearts centered on God. So, because we choose what it is that our hearts desire, what it is that our hearts crave, Every child of God has to make sure that they long for the things of God. We got to constantly be taking our temperature. My wife 
is a thermometer-wielding mother. If I come in and say, you know, I don't feel real good, we'll take your temperature. And I refuse. I just say, I'm not going to do it. And she says, let me feel your hands. Because she can feel my hands and know if I have a temperature. I guess that's a mother gene. I don't know. But if we constantly monitor our temperature, we're going to know what our temperature is. And that's what she's wanting to know. She's really wanting to know if I'm running a fever for something. Every child of God has to closely monitor their spiritual temperature. And this is it. You're either hot or you're cold. Because nothing in the middle works. Are you all there with me? Hot or cold. Because if we're not hot, we are cold. We are on in the process of falling away from God in our hearts. And so now let me move on quickly to this last thing. And I, I think that it's imperative we understand this. There is a third choice perhaps. There's this other danger that has captured many hearts of many children of God. You see, the, ap- the opposite of desire is satisfaction. To be satisfied. It's a false feeling that we have everything we need and we don't need anything more. I mean, it's like Thanksgiving. You know, whenever the meal's being cooked and, man, the house smells with all the smells of Thanksgiving. And, I mean, you're just waiting to dive into all of those, you know, yummy things. You know, the tamales and the tortillas and the burritos and all of those special things prepared just for Thanksgiving. I'm telling you, I vote for that. And then you finally get to the table, man. And this is a special day. You've made sopapillas and there's a whole big jar of honey. And man, you've eaten all the main courses and you've put in. And man, afterwards, you've got to let your belt out a couple of notches. Are you fair? See, before you had this desire, I want to eat. After the meal, you've got this desire. Go, no, man, I can't. Okay, let me have one. No, I, that's, that's not me. You have this desire. I'm full. I'm satisfied. Folks, That's dangerous whenever it comes to the things of God. Listen to this. Because Americans have doctors, because Americans have medicines, jobs, cars, houses, retirement plans, we are especially susceptible to disease of satisfaction. We get false feeling where everything we need, we get false feelings that we have everything we need and we need nothing. I really believe that that's a plague here in the United States, I believe it is a very terrible situation that is even spoken about in Revelation chapter 3, the church of Laodicea. This is what it says. I am about to spit you out of my mouth. This is God talking to a church. He says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You see, spiritual satisfaction is a deadly enemy. And we should never think we have all of God that we need. 
I mean, many times we're people that are very proud of being Pentecostal. We are a full gospel church, praise God. But I'm going to tell you something. I believe this with all that is in me, that it doesn't make any difference if you're Pentecostal or if you're Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, or whatever it might be. There are spots that you can come to where you don't have all of God you need, regardless of what denomination, what tenets of faith you might have. You don't have all of God you need. But can I just tell you this? I don't think we should ever come to a place where we're satisfied. I think dissatisfaction should always reign in our hearts whenever it comes to the things of God. We never kick back and go, whoa, man, I've got all that God has for me right now. I think we should always be knocking on the door and saying, God, I want more. Like children that just never can be satisfied. I believe it thrills the heart of of God. We've got to adopt this attitude. We've got to adopt this attitude that David had. We've got to adopt this attitude that the Apostle Paul had. This is what Paul says in Philippians 3. He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. You know what that tells me? That that guy right there has got a hankering for Jesus. Does that make sense? He goes on. He goes on in Philippians 3. He, you know, Paul had experienced so many things, maybe more than probably we ever will, but, but, but he hadn't arrived yet. Does that make sense? I mean, Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament, but he never got satisfied with his relationship. This is what it goes on to say in Philippians 3. It says, No, dear brothers, I am still not all I should be, but I am bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and to receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ Jesus did for us. He always knew there was more to know know about God. Paul put his most diligent effort into getting to know God more. Whenever you and I stop having this attitude that is portrayed here with David and portrayed here with Paul, have you ever thought about this? That it comes to a place when we stop having that attitude that I want more, I want more, I want more, and we take the time to prepare our hearts for that more. When we stop having that attitude, it's literally we have taken a position of indifference towards Jesus Christ. Eh, he really doesn't matter. I dropped an M&M the other day on the floor. It went underneath the couch. Do you know how hard it is to get an M&M out from underneath the couch when you're fat like me? It's a job for the grandkids. Hey, you want an M&M? There's one under the couch. It's all right. It's clean dust that's under there. But you see, I was indifferent towards that. You know why? Because we had this huge jug of them. And I just didn't care about that. See, we cannot take that position of indifference towards the things of Jesus Christ. Yes, we've got a lot of things. I'm saved. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I've, I've got a good taste of what His Word is all about. God has so blessed me with so many blessings, man. I can't even explain it. But folks, i got to tell you, I want more. I want more. 
I strain to reach the end. That's what the Apostle Paul said. We have to, we have to quit taking the, the position of indifference towards Jesus Christ. Because that position is kind of like a lover who is no longer interested in the one that they say they love. There's no more excitement. There's no more intrigue. There's no more interest. So this morning, this is it. I challenge you. I challenge you. Because that's what this message is about. I challenge you. I double dog dare you. I dare you. I'm, I'm not going there. I challenge this church. And I hear my voice reverberating off the back wall. I, char- I challenge this pastor to come to a place where I can say that my desire is like David's desire for God. That my desire is like Paul's desire for God. You know, it's like this, Jared. If you'll come and help me close this morning, you have to ask yourself this question. Do I, J.D. Watson, do you, whatever your name is, fill in the blank, do you have a current, fervent love for God? You say, well, what does that mean, Pastor? It means this. You can't wait to be with Him. You just can't wait to be with Him. So many things distract you, but you just can't wait to be with Him. You can't wait to learn about Him. Somebody's teaching about Jesus? I'm there. Now remember, the question that set this whole thing up is, do you have a current and fervent love for God? Can't wait to be with Him. Can't wait to learn about Him. And you can't wait to do the things that show Him your love. So this morning, I want to read a quick story. And I really believe it's relevant right here at the very end. It's kind of funny, but I believe it's relevant. There's a story about a proud young man who came to Socrates asking for knowledge. He walked up to the muscular philosopher and said, Oh, great Socrates, I come to you for knowledge. Socrates recognized a pompous numbskull when he saw one. He led the young man through the streets to the sea and chest deep into the water. Then he asked, What do you want? Knowledge, O wise Socrates, said the young man with a smile. Socrates put his strong hands on the man's shoulders and pushed him underwater. Thirty seconds later, Socrates let him up. What do you want? He asked again. Wisdom, the young man sputtered. Oh, great and wise Socrates. Socrates shoved him under again. Thirty seconds, thirty-five, forty. Socrates let him up. The man was gasping. What do you want, young man? He wheezed. Knowledge, oh wise and wonderful. Socrates jammed him under the water. Forty seconds, forty-five, fifty. He came up out of the water and Socrates said, What do you want? Air! I need air! And this is the words from Socrates. When you want knowledge as you have just wanted air, then you will have knowledge. Oh God, may we be a people who want our God more than we want the air that's filling our breath, or filling our lungs. Oh God, oh God, oh God. You see, because this is what I'm convinced because I've read through this whole book 
whenever His people really, really want the person of God, His people will find the person of God. And His people will be filled with the person of God. You see, I believe it's all of those who surrender all of themselves to God that receive the most from God. And this morning, are you hungry for God? Do you love God's Word? Do you love to pray? Do you love to praise? Are you a teachable person? Are you determined not to ever let go of God? We could say, yeah, I'm there, but let me just let me just bring this to where I'm at because this is where the Holy Spirit led me. He asked me this question. He said, has there ever been a time in my life whenever my desire was more than it is today? I really thought that that question was just personal for me. But I really believe this morning it was personal for all of us. Because if there's ever been a time in your life where your desire was greater than it is today, God is calling you back to that place. He's asking you to, by faith, say, listen, God, I'm going to work on this desire. I am going to prepare this heart every day. It is my agenda to go after you. To come to a place where I can say, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for thee. Would you bow your heads this morning, close your eyes? Can you honestly say, search my heart, God. Search my heart. Search my motives. Make sure they're pre- that they're, they're pure. And, and, and God, that I, I have no secrets that I'm hoping you don't notice. Because you see, that's kind of the very first step is that if there's anything in between you and God, you just put it out on the table and say, God, forgive me for that. I've been chasing this desire and I shouldn't have. This is a habit that I shouldn't be into and I just ask you to forgive me. I ask ask your forgiveness. You see, because there's a lot of desires that, as the Apostle Paul told us, they're, they're evil desires. And so that's the first place we go. We've got to put them away. So now with your heads closed, your eyes, your, your heads bowed, your eyes closed. We'll get it right here in a second. How many of you would say in this room, Pastor, I can remember a place in my life where my desire for God was much stronger than it is today. Would you just slip your hands up? That's me. That's me. Thank you. There's hands all over this room. You can put them right back down. Would you all stand with me? And this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you if you would begin to, on a daily basis, prepare your heart for God. Until there begins to be a longing inside of you, a desire that just begins to rise up, because that's exactly what it does. It just it it comes out of nowhere, and all of a sudden you just you go, my goodness, my goodness. Feed that desire, because I believe that whenever we pray this prayer in just a moment, God through His supernatural hand is going to begin to place it on our lives and begin to help us change directions if we've been going the wrong way.
hands all over this congregation was raised that there was a time in your life where your desire was stronger than it is today for God. And so God wants to take you to that place again. He wants to take you whenever that desire was was so powerful inside of you. But let me just tell you this. I'm convinced, 100% convinced that He does not want to leave you at that place, that He wants to take you past that. He wants to take you to a place where you never could have dreamed that your desire could be so powerful for the things of God. That indeed, as David wrote that psalm, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants after you, God. I want your presence. I want you, God. More than life itself, I want you. So this morning, would you join me and just pray a prayer for yourself? Say, God, if you raised your hand a moment ago, take me back to that place. If you didn't raise your hand a moment ago and you should have, you can still pray, God, take me back to that place. If you didn't raise your hand a moment ago because you're, 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 you're more desirous of God today than you ever have been, then what you pray is, God, take me forward past this place because I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more of you. This is the challenge that we have today, the challenge to be where David was, to be where Paul was in in their desire for God. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, come on, pray with me, church. In the name of Jesus, we want you, God. We want you to take us, Lord God, where we've never been before, Father. I pray for everyone in this room that raised their hand a moment ago, God, and they were more hungry, they were more passionate, they were more in love with you, perhaps, in a day that has gone by than they are right now, God. Take them back to that place, Lord God. Rekindle those embers, Father God, that are still in their hearts. And I pray the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, to awaken in them, Father God, to awaken in them, Father, that love that they once had for you, Lord, that it would come alive, Lord God. It would come alive in their hearts. And Father, I know, Lord, that as you take us back to each each one of us to that place, Lord, that we can remember a greater, stronger, more passionate walk with you. God, you are not going to leave us there. But Father, I pray you'll take this church on, Lord God. You'll take us on, Father God, to heights we have never even dreamed about. Father, you'll take us to a place, Father God, where the desire and the passion of our hearts, Lord God, it beats, Father God, within our chest for you, God for you, for the things, Father God, that you have, Lord, our passion, Lord. May it be changed. May it be redirected, Lord God. I feel, Father, the call that literally comes to each one of us tonight. Father, it is a call, Lord God, to return to our first love. To return. Father, this morning, We really, really want you. We really want you, God. We want you in our lives. We want you in our families, God. We want you in this church. And so, Lord, you got a bunch of people, Father, that are committing to coming after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Folks, my challenge to all of us in this room is to prepare your hearts. To prepare your hearts. Go after God. Go after Him. And watch the desire grow. Watch the desire expand to where we can't even understand it. In Jesus' name, go.